Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Thursday, November 14th. We've got Week 12 in the ACC to talk about. We've got Virginia Tech going down to Atlanta to take on the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. We've got some recruit news we're going to hit on. We've got some basketball updates. But before we get to all that, Tim, what's uh, what's going on? I'm frustrated, Justin, as you know. Um, I'm not much of an IT guy. So, uh, yeah, dealing with these computer issues and trying to uh, get my computer to rise up off the table like Frankenstein's monster after I uh, turned it off, hard reset in the middle of an update, uh, was not easy. That, that certainly wasn't easy, but I finally got it up and running. Uh, we're ready to lock and load. The audacity is working, um, and it is hearing my voice. So I think that means uh, we're ready to rock and roll. Well, I appreciate you uh, dragging me through that process with you as I <laughs> sat here in hey, darkness if for 30 I, minutes. If I'm going to suffer, you're going to suffer with me. But I do think that you have some news that you can share with everyone. Uh, that certainly made the wait a little easier for us, I'm sure. Well, before we get to that, Tim, I, I wanted to to talk about this rabbit hole I've gone down. Oh, hell yeah. I love rabbit holes. Let's do it. So you're you're big into the cooking shows, right? Oh, yeah. So I've been I've been stuck at home the last few days, uh, you know, bringing a, a sick two-year-old back to health. That's and, hard. And, uh, you know, been, um, been just looking for something to tune into, and I happened to stumble across... A guy, a YouTube channel, where he does nothing but basically opens up packs of baseball cards. Oh, I could see that being a, a deep, dark rabbit hole. It's absolutely captivating. Um, I don't know. Please if tell you're... me he's doing like historic packs as well somehow. He's pretty much focused on the new stuff, and I don't know okay. how up to speed you are with the baseball card scene. You know, I um, I last kind of left the baseball card scene in the late 90s. So we're talking yeah. about like, you know, wax packs, you know, 55 different brands of the same card. You know, they all look very sure. similar. This guy's opening up a $6,000 box of baseball cards. S- excuse me? And for that $6,000, 10 cards. So they've got ten cards. Jer- jersey swatches. Uh, autographs, you know, diamonds. Um, I mean, everything under the sun. So I mean, you know, you can get a card that's worth fifty bucks, a hundred bucks in this box. You get a card that's worth sixty five hundred dollars, maybe seventy five hundred on a good day, depending on what you $6, get. Six thousand dollars. There better be a vial of Ken Griffey Jr. sweat in that card box. Now I got to tell you, it's uh, it's pretty fascinating. Um, I've I've wasted some time just sitting there watching him open cards and uh i don't have any cards to open of my own so it just brings back memories you know so i i might have made a couple of purchases today that's all i'm gonna say i was gonna say i've opened uh cards fairly recently you know especially during the beginning of the season i get a couple of packs just to rip for nostalgia's sake um you know, I got a nice D. Gordon autograph card okay. that I uh, okay. that I that I pulled about seven years ago. D. And it Gordon like is maybe the a big deal. Uh, most under the radar steroids guy you'll ever meet. I, it's not showing, except in his forty time. Um, you know, but he he's very much a slap hitter. Uh, but yeah, that was pretty cool. So opening baseball cards really fun, man. It's uh, it's one of those things that you really kind of miss from being a kid. Um, 
you know, now if you're into prospects, you can get those Bowman boxes of cards, uh, you know, that have all the guys before they've reached the majors. So there's some stuff. It is a deep rabbit hole that you can go down and a lot of fun. Um, you know, I don't dabble in it hardcore, but every now and then as I'm in the checkout line at Target uh, and I see a box of cards staring me in the face, you know, why not? You roll the dice. <laughs> I'll, I'll just take my chances and see what happens, you know? Yeah. Well, let me know. Keep us updated. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty fascinating. I'm not going to lie. But, uh, you know, Tim, as I was sitting here waiting for you, um, some news broke over the wire. Uh, the Hokies landed a pretty big-time commitment for the 2021 class. Demetrius Davis, four-star quarterback, Oof. number four dual-threat quarterback in the country, number 143rd prospect overall. Uh, out of Houston, Texas. So the hashtag Texas2VT really being brought to light. Uh, pretty impressive pull. Um, you know, you mentioned offline here, you know, Virginia Tech struggles to to bring in the top talent in the state of Virginia. How do they bring in a yeah. 6A guy from Houston, Texas, who, you know, looks like he is a really good fit for this offense? Yeah, he does. I mean, that's the most exciting thing when I watch those highlights is, you know, you can already see him performing well in our scheme. He's shifty. He's undersized, but sometimes that works out to your favor if you're a running quarterback. Um, you know, he, he's about 5'11", I think, based on what I've seen. You know, that puts him about Russell Wilson-ish right now. Um, but, you know, he moves very well going down the field, moves very well in the pocket, extremely shifty, nice moves. He's got a really, from what I could see, a pretty strong arm. I, I saw him make a 60-yard throw uh you know, in, in one of the highlights. So interesting. You know, it's one of those things where it's a little early yet. You hope you can keep him committed. Um, but certainly we're selling something that he's very interested in to go ahead and jump on us. And uh, yeah, that's a great feeling, man. Yeah, no, it's pretty crazy. So, I mean, uh, just more and more positive news continues to stream in for the Hokies. Uh, before we jump into football, I just wanted to hit on the basketball team here. So off to a 3-0 start, uh, you know, not playing the the toughest competition over the last two games, but you know they did uh, take care of South Carolina Upstate. I believe that's who it was uh, today. Yeah. Landers Nolly, yeah. twenty three more points to add to the stat sheet. That guy's looking really good. So, uh, you know, Mike Young, get your popcorn ready. Uh, pre-game, that's kind of his ritual as we see him on the sidelines. And um, you know, for those that don't know, I guess you can buy beer in Castle Coliseum now. Yeah, that's cool. It's really cool. So that's that's interesting. That brings your basketball experience to a different level, I guess, for some. You know, maybe not sure. others. But And, you know, you really need to shout out uh, Wabisabidi uh, because he continues to stuff the stat sheet and everything but points. Um, you know, it's one of those things where last year he struggled to score, and that was fine, you know, but it frustrated us at times. This year he's really, really, really making the players around him better. Um, and, you know, credit that to him and his hard work in the offseason. Uh, but also, you know, credit to the coach as well because he's uh, he's putting him in the spots to make him successful as a floor general. So excited to see what Wabissa can do for the rest of the year as well. Yeah, he uh, he's pretty fun to watch with the ball in his hands. I still don't love when he shoots, uh, to be sure. honest. Sure. Uh, but as a uh, dictator of the offense, I do I do like when the ball's in his hand. Uh, I got to tell you, a name I just love to say is Naheem Aline. I hope that guy <laughs> is just the next coming of, you know, Steph Curry. And I can yeah. just chant his name from the mountaintops. Naheem. Yeah, we like him. A Georgia boy, too. I'm all about those Georgia boys. Man, they're uh, 
Georgia is a great state, underrated state. Um, you know, I spent high school years there and uh, really enjoyed it. So hopefully we can uh, keep this thing moving. And, um, you know, Coach Young just seems like a lot of fun, man. And I think that's what I like most about him. I don't think we're going to reach many heights as a program this year, um, you know, just because we are limited. That That front court is, you know, undersized to say the least and that's going to be a struggle but man it's going to be a fun year especially if you're into watching these guys grow and get better uh and may uh Wabissa continue to get these uh you know 10 let's say nine assists six rebounds five point stat lines that I absolutely love uh he's he's, he's got a triple double I think coming this year yeah so let's go ahead and jump over to football Tim uh big week in the ACC you know quiet from some of the top you know we've got Virginia Tech playing much better football we've got Miami playing much better it seems like some of the coastal teams are starting to kind of rise towards the top of some of the upper tier teams of the conference at least you know the Virginia Virginia Tech Miami they're starting to kind of shape into form about kind of what we where we expected them to be to start the season so we've seen uh Virginia Tech and Miami specifically turn a corner and um you know, something I wanted to hit on was interesting press conference from Justin Fuente earlier in the week. And uh, he's not a guy who typically gives a lot of, um, you know, insight into his press conferences. He's usually pretty closed up, pretty bottled up. Yeah. Uh, but he he mentioned that the way that they were going about things was different than what he had always done after that Duke game. And he kind of put it all on his own shoulders, called it out in front of the team. And uh, really since that point, the team has kind of adopted this after Duke mentality, which, you know, I don't know how we didn't think of that. Um, Because, I mean, since this team has has played Duke, it's been a completely different story. Um, So one of the things that really stood out is he said, I quit worrying about all the other stuff and worried about getting our guys ready to play. Don't know what that means exactly. Uh, we'll probably never know what that means, uh, but just thought that was interesting. Um, now, I don't want to kind of look beyond the fact that, you know, after the Duke game, we saw Hendon Hooker kind of take over. And, uh, you know, Hendon Hooker, he's a guy who's come in and he's had, you know, a lot of success, you know, almost completing 60% of his passes. He's got 814 yards, seven touchdowns, no picks does have a couple of fumbles but overall he's he's uh he's been really good at taking care of the football and really what we've seen out of Virginia Tech since Hooker has taken over is a team that's able to run the ball much more effectively and you know against power five opponents Tech is averaging a total of 432 yards per game and 40 points per game in games that Hooker has started yeah and 200 of those yards, two, more than 200 of those yards are coming on the ground. So if you watch, you know, the games, you go back and watch any highlights or, you know, however you're digesting uh, the game on the field, you'll see the defense is very confused about who's getting the ball out of the backfield because you have to respect Hooker as a runner so much. And that has really opened up uh, the rushing attack, especially for guys like Deshaun McLeese, who's averaging almost five yards per carry since Hooker took over. So, you know, the after Duke mentality, really interesting. Uh, but I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, Hendon Hooker, who is undefeated um, as a starter, uh, obviously he did not play in the Notre Dame game. But, you know, in games that Hooker's not there, Tim, Virginia Tech only averaging 312 yards and under 20 points per game. 
So, yeah, man, it's pretty incredible what one change, one position change can do to a football team. Um, you know, speaking of Hendon Hooker, and, you know, I, I kind of tie that back in what Justin Fuente was talking about and what he was alluding to in that press conference in regards to the Duke game. I think he was referencing maybe some personnel decisions he had made, uh, you know, speaking specifically about keeping Ryan Willis at quarterback that maybe didn't put the team in the best position to win that Duke game. And, and that was him maybe reflecting on that and taking responsibility for that because it is his responsibility to get those kind of decisions right. Um, and, you know, it's nice to see him take accountability, um, you know, although you would like to see maybe a little bit more uh, or a little more specifics laid out, uh, that would be even better. But, you know, that's not always uh, for us fans to get. But, yeah, speaking about Hendon again, the changes he's made to that offense, the effect he's had on the team, um, you know, it's crazy to see everything that's lined up since he's been in, such as, you know, uh, the varied running game that we have now working effectively for us. Um, and, you know, the the tempo that the offense runs with. You know, the thing that I think is most interesting to me is the offensive line was a source of my frustration in the beginning of the year and last year. Um, you know, something was just not working with that offensive line. And since Hendon has been in, uh, the offensive line's finally getting pushed. They're getting to the second level in a way that they weren't in the beginning of the year. And it's hard to imagine just a change at quarterback would affect that. Um, but clearly something with that change in quarterback has allowed the scheme to really open up and work. Uh, not just, you know, speaking of the running game from the skill position standpoint, but the running game from the offensive line standpoint. Um, you know, there were some video highlights floating around Hokies Twitter of that Quincy Patterson a long run against North Carolina. And that's the thing that really blew me away was, you know, we had linemen guards getting to the second level, hitting the linebackers, opening up this hole for Quincy to run through that you could have driven a truck through. And we weren't doing that at the beginning of the year. And, and, you know, since we've made that change in Hendon, it's just crazy to see all these position groups playing as well as they are on that offensive side of the ball. Yeah. And I think too, with the offensive line, the big thing that you know, I think early in the season was we had a lot of really young guys on that offensive line. Sure. So I think what we've seen now is just more of a maturation process over uh, the first 11 weeks of the season, and uh, it's starting to show on the football field. So, And it's not just on the offensive side, it's the defensive side too, which we'll talk about in a second. So let's go ahead and kick off the uh, the preview, Tim. So we got Virginia Tech at Georgia Tech, 330, going to be regional coverage uh, down there in Atlanta. Uh, so for those of you outside of an ACC market, most likely going to have to be watching on the Watch ESPN app or whatever they're calling it these days. Hopefully they have their, uh, you know, their app technology figured out because whenever I watch a game on there, it is missing about three frames for every uh, two seconds. So it's very frustrating. <laughs> right, right. So Hokies are a five and a half point favorite. So first time they're a favorite here in quite a few games. I don't remember the last time they were a favorite, so they have been playing that underdog role to a T. And, uh, you know, the thing with Georgia Tech, Tim, you know, they're 2-7 and seven on the season. They've got the loss to the Citadel. They've got the win against Miami. It was kind of a fluky, crazy win. A lot of things went their way. Yep. Um, but, hey, it's a win nonetheless. Uh, that being said, Georgia Tech is playing a little bit better football right now. You know, the one thing that they're not really lacking is skill players. Uh, they definitely have some athletes on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, they've got some speed. They've got a lot of wide receivers. You know, they've got uh, a pretty solid running back. So, you know, one of their biggest issues has been the quarterback play, which we'll get to in a second. But, you know, one good thing for Virginia Tech is they don't have the triple option. 
that they have to deal with. Um, Absolutely. So that is, you know, a huge plus. Uh, this will be the fourth time Fuente has played Georgia Tech, and he will be looking for his first win. And I think if uh, if you're Virginia Tech, you uh, you certainly remember the game from last year. I believe the final ended up something around 42-28, if I'm remembering that correctly. It could, it could have been worse. Um, I can't remember the right. score exactly. Uh, but it was a bad one. It was a bad game. So, you know, a lot of these guys have, have that taste in their mouth. Uh, they probably want to go down here to Atlanta and make a statement. So uh, the big thing with Virginia Tech is they just need to make sure they limit the big plays defensively and take care of the football. Pretty simple formula. Um, and, you know, if we if we see that out of Virginia Tech, they typically come out on top. So to talk about some of the weaknesses of Georgia Tech, Tim, there are a few. You know, James Graham, good athlete. You know, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you probably remember James Graham was committed to the program, decided to decommit at the last second, go down to uh, Georgia Tech, where he, you know, probably was going to have a chance to play quarterback, which is what he's doing. The Hokies saw him as more of a defensive back, a wide receiver type of guy. Uh, He is a very good athlete back there, not a great thrower. That being said, he is coming off of his best game of the year against UVA. He went 15 to 22 for 200 yards and two touchdowns. Also, uh, rushed for a touchdown. But before that point, he was only completing 43% of his passes. So, you know, he was going up against a pretty banged-up UVA secondary. If you look at the Virginia Tech secondary, Virginia Tech secondary has given up a lot of yards, uh, but it's got one of the best, you know, cover corners in the conference in Caleb Farley. So, you know, Virginia Tech is a team that will give up yards uh, at times, but if you kind of look at their last few games, they've been going up against teams that have done nothing but pretty much throw the football because those teams have either been down or trying to come back into a game or something like that. So the stats aren't really telling the full story. From a rushing standpoint, Georgia Tech really struggles to stop the run. They're giving up almost 210 yards on the ground. Uh, they, um, They rank last in total offense and scoring offense, and they really struggle to play a complete game. So Georgia Tech is one of those teams where you watch them and they'll have a really good first half and you're like, wow, okay, Georgia Tech's in this. And then they'll disappear in the second half. And that's kind of what happened against UVA last week. So this is a team that you kind of expect that. You know, they're young. uh, They've got a lot of inexperience. You know, they're rebuilding from the triple option offense. They're certainly playing better. Probably their best game of the year was last week against UVA, even though they lost, even though they've beaten Miami. It seemed to be the game that they've played the most efficient. But this is a team that can win on Saturday, there's no doubt. I just don't think they're going to. I think Virginia Tech is playing at too high of a level right now. If Virginia Tech wants to come out and make a statement and and you know start being taken seriously, they'll go down to Atlanta and they'll take care of business like we've been seeing them take care of business. So... Don't lose sight of the fact that Georgia Tech is playing better, that Jeff Collins is a pretty good motivator. He's going to have these guys ready to go. You're not going to go down there and you know expect Georgia Tech to be laying down and waiting for the season to end. They're going to come out there and they're going to try to punch Virginia Tech right in the mouth. But as we've seen since that after Duke trend has taken place, Virginia Tech is really good at punching back. Yeah, they are. They're, they're really good at punching back, and that's been – you know, kind of this team's mantra since that Duke game is that we keep picking ourselves up off the mat and playing well. 
Um, I think you hit on Georgia Tech really well. You know, the one thing I will say, their offense seems to go as Jordan Mason goes. Um, their running back, who's had a really, really good year, I think, for, you know, if you kept your expectations in check for Georgia Tech, I think he's outperformed them. Um, you know, 94 yards against UVA, 141 against Miami. In their, you know, in their best games, he's played well. Um, and in some of their worst games, he hasn't, you know, shown up. And, you know, I think if you if we focus on shutting down uh, Jordan Mason, there's no one really in Georgia Tech's backfield that's going to hurt you uh, other than some scrambling by the quarterback. Um, you mentioned, you know, Graham and how well he played or comparatively well he played last game. And that's a trend you think would be a little slowed down. He was going up against a banged up UVA secondary. Uh, Caleb Farley, Jermaine Waller playing very well for the Hokies. Um, and the defensive line as a whole really getting after the quarterback. Um, you know, defensive line stats, you know, look really well from a run standpoint and a pass standpoint. So that bodes well for us and controlling the Yellow Jackets. Really the only way Virginia Tech, I think, gets tripped up in this game is the offense come out, comes out and struggles. I'm not necessarily as worried about the defense as I am about that offense. Consistency always been an issue, um, at least in recent history with Virginia Tech on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, we've seen Hendon come out and lead this team, and, and they look good on offense. There's consistency there. They seem to be hitting the right marks. Um, you know, scheme-wise, we've already touched on it. seems much improved. But there's always that little worry in the back of your head because it is Georgia Tech. And Lord knows Fuente has his struggles against the Yellow Jackets. Um, this is a much different Yellow Jackets team, but, you know, there's still a complex there with, with Virginia Tech fans when they see Georgia Tech line up on the other side of the football. And you don't know how much that is ingrained in the football players themselves. So, um, you know, I don't expect anything to happen here that's going to throw Virginia Tech off of its recent winning ways. However, it does concern me a little bit that fluky, strange games seem to happen against the Yellow Jackets every time we play them. Um, I expect both sides of the ball to have a, have a decent enough shot, uh, you know, to put up some good stats here. I actually think the line is maybe a little too generous to uh, Georgia Tech in this case. I expect, you know, at least a 7-10 to 10 point victory. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you probably feel the same way, but there's that little, you know, voice in the back of my head that says, hey, it is the Yellow Jackets triple option or not. Uh, you know, Fuente has seemed to struggle against them. So I'm hopeful for a big game, hopeful for consistency. Um, again, shutting down that Georgia Tech running game is going to be a key to slowing them down. And I don't think our defense is going to have trouble with that. I don't know how you feel. No, you know, I think defensively we're starting to see a defensive line that is really starting to get that push up front. If you kind of think back to, you know, the Duke and Boston College game, I think, I think this defensive line had two, two sacks total and or at least the defense as a whole excuse me since then if we're talking about power five we've seen 16 sacks and 10 or 11 forced turnovers by the defense yeah so we went from a team that couldn't hold on to the football couldn't protect the football couldn't turn over the football to a team that has been better at protecting the football has been more consistent offensively more efficient and a team that you know the the trendy disruption rate stat or whatever we're calling it um you know we see virginia tech towards the top of the acc and that statistic so you know i expect the defensive line to to kind of wreak havoc in this game um i am interested to see how they go up against james graham not from a 
from a passing standpoint, but from a from a rushing standpoint. Uh, you know, we haven't seen a ton of really dynamic athletes. I mean, you know, Quentin Harris is solid. Nikosi Perry can get out of the pocket if he needs to, but you know, they're not guys that we think of as as run first passers. You know, Ian Book is a guy. You know, kind of the same category. James Grant is a guy who. You know they're gonna they're gonna try to get him out of the pocket as much as possible, sure. and I think it's the last time we saw that was against Old Dominion with their quarterback, and uh, his name is slipping my mind right now. But you know he did have a little bit of success. You know I hate to compare anything to the first month of the season because this is such a different football team. Uh, but the reason I want to see what this defense will look like against James Graham is because you know they've got another quarterback who is better when he's getting outside of the pocket and, and Bryce Perkins in a, in a few weeks as well. So, you know, I think, uh, I think there may be a, a big player two that happens uh, in this game for Georgia tech. Um, but just from an overall standpoint, I feel like the Virginia tech defense is going to win out. We started to see some really good play from the defensive line and, you know, Tawan Garbutt, who, you know, missed a, a good amount of time early in the season. He's really started to come on. Deshaun Crawford, Narelle Pollard, Javon Becton, Emmanuel Belmar. Those guys are really starting to kind of, you know, stand out and really start yeah. to play really well. And uh, it's really starting to help the back end as well. So we've seen Caleb Farley. You know, he leads the uh, conference in pass deflections. He's probably, you know, top two, top three cover corner in the conference. Jermaine Waller and Marnie Chapman on the other side have been playing really well. You know, we started to see safety play much better. And then if you look at the middle of the field, Rayshard Ashby is the, the best linebacker in the conference, if you ask me. Yeah, and, absolute uh, stud. And Dax Hollyfield's really started to come on over the last couple of weeks. So I think if if we're talking about the defense, I feel I feel really good about it because we've seen it be really strong uh, since that second half of the North Carolina game. And, you know, I, I think this game could be close for a quarter, maybe two. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, a one-score game at halftime, but... I would be surprised if it's that way to end the season. I mean, Virginia Tech is in playoff mode football right now. You know? Yeah. They have and a very, like, win-or-go-home mentality, which they have to have. You control your yeah. own destiny. You went out. You go home. You want to win out. So go play Clemson and Charlotte. Maybe get that bid to the Orange Bowl. Yeah. And one thing I think is going to be a key statistic here uh, to watch on that offensive side of the ball is going to be our third down efficiency. Um, that has been another area in which this offense has had its struggles with time to time, consistently moving the chains. Uh, and, you know, Wake Forest, we regressed a little bit. We went three for 14 on our third down conversions. Um, you know, it's going to be important that we get that turned around against a team like Virginia Tech. We want to see this offense building off of itself game in and game out. And for the most part, they've done that. But we did regress a little in that third down efficiency, and I think that stat is going to be key to this offensive success in the games you know, for the rest of the year. So keep an eye on that statistic. As long as we're converting on those third downs, we should have a pretty good day in Atlanta, um, but we will find out. So do you have a score prediction for this one? Yeah, give me uh, 34-21. Wow, I've, so I've got the 34 as well. I've got 34-13. Um, think it's probably a touchdown and a couple of field goals for Georgia Tech, and that's about it. So we'll see yeah. what happens. Um, but yeah, I do feel pretty good about Virginia Tech going into this Atlanta game. So uh, another team that they've got coming up, and uh, a big game for them as well uh, Thursday night. So if you're listening to this uh, today, which today being Thursday, 
That game is coming to you a little bit later on. So you got UNC at Pitt, uh, Thursday Night Football, ESPN, 8 p.m. Eastern, I believe. So Pitt is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. And you can go to this game for $5. So if you're in the greater Pittsburgh area, maybe uh, maybe stop by, watch a little football, uh, cheer yeah. on your Pitt Panthers if you're a Pitt Panthers fan, or just go if you're a football fan, you know, whatever. I mean, there's there's always tons of empty seats in the stadium, so... Um, what we're going to see, Tim, is the battle of the ACC's second-best defense against one of its top offenses. And, you know, Pitt ranks ninth in the country in total defense. I don't think people really know that. I mean, this is a team that hasn't gotten a lot of hype, has kind of flown under the radar a little bit. You know, they're sitting here at 6-3. and three. You know, they're 3-1, they're and one, I think, since uh, the end of September. You know, they're looking pretty good. Clemson is the best team defensively in the conference, and they're sitting at fourth. Uh, So Pitt has given up 4.2 yards per play, only 280 total yards, second in the country with sacks at 4.4 per game, 40 total. And uh, they rank seventh nationally, allowing only 85.9 rushing yards per game. They also have 30 non-sack tackles for loss. So this is a defensive line and a defense that is good at getting to the quarterback, is good at taking uh, taking advantage of uh, you know unskilled offensive lines. They're really good at stopping the run. That to me is not spelling great news for North Carolina. If you look at North Carolina, their offensive line ranks 119th in the country at giving up sacks. They've given up 29 this season. So Sam Howe is going to have to get the ball out very quickly in order to have a day where he's, you know, not watching the game on his back. And, I mean, that being said, you know, this is a pretty high-powered offense. You know, they're averaging almost six yards per play, 446 yards per game. You know, Hal is completing almost 60% of his passes, 2,500 yards passing, 26 touchdowns, only five picks. They've got a pretty solid rushing game in Javante Williams and Michael Carter. But that offensive line is is a big weakness, and their defense is also an issue. Now, that being said, the pit offense isn't exactly a juggernaut. And so I think you've got a, a really average quarterback in Kenny Pickett. You know, can he do enough to win? I think has been the question with Pitt. And, you know, we saw that that wasn't the case uh, in, you know, one of their last games where, you know, he just, the, the defense did everything that it could to win and they just couldn't come out on top. So Kenny Pickett is really going to have to find it within himself to actually be a little bit better than average. You know, they're starting to rush the ball a little bit better than they have over the first uh, half of the season. But, you know, I kind of, I am leaning Pitt in this game. UNC has beat Pitt six straight times. Pitt has won five of six games coming into this one. It's a tough one to call, but I think Pitt wins by a field goal. Yeah, and I, you know, to me, when I look at who's going to win this game, it's more about the style of the teams and where we are from a weather standpoint. So it's going to be cold in Pittsburgh tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to this. I guess that would be a today for you guys catching this at home. Um, and Pitt is one of those teams that's going to line up the ball and, and run effectively, I believe. Um, they have a great defense, which should help stifle some of UNC's high-flying offense and, and high-powered passing attack. And passing attacks tend to suffer when it gets cold. Um, that's just one of those things that can happen. The, the, it's a little 
you know, harder to grip the ball when you can't feel your hands and, and, you know, catching goes out the window a little bit. So, you know, I expect Howell to struggle a little bit with those temperatures Um, and Pitt, not so much. Pitt has a bunch of Rust Belt boys on that team uh, that are used to the cold and they're used to lining up across the line of scrimmage and and knocking you in the mouth. And uh, in this case, I think this plays into Pitt's hands. You also have the home field advantage for Pitt, which is one of those situations where the, the stadium can be dead at times. Uh, and they can they can feed off of that a little bit in the sense that it is kind of awkward for both those teams to go out there in that cavernous stadium uh, with no one there in attendance. So, you know, I'm going to lean Pitt here uh, just for those facts alone. I think that it's going to be a little too cold for the offense of North Carolina to heat up, and that should keep them in check. I don't think it's going to be, you know, a landslide victory for either team. It is close to a toss-up, but I am leaning Pitt on this. Uh, you know, in a game that ends up something maybe 31 to 28 along those lines. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, Pitt also has more in the line to play for at this point. So all of those things should lead uh, to a Pitt W. Yeah, and, you know, UNC still not bowl eligible, so, you know, they are playing for that. Um, I think it'll be a little bit lower scoring. I think it'll probably be first one to 20 points wins type of deal I'd be surprised if uh, Pitt gave up 28 points defensively but you know we'll see Uh, we'll see how it goes another game Tim Wake Forest at Clemson this game kind of lost a little bit of its luster uh, for a couple of reasons so Wake obviously coming off a uh, you know a pretty pretty bad loss to Virginia Tech bad in the way that they got beat not by the opponent Uh, Clemson is on an FU tour uh, to all of college football uh, to prove a point, basically. So this game, 330 ABC, Clemson is a 34-and-a-half point favorite. That's a whole lot of points, especially against <laughs> the team lot. that we had as the number two team in the ACC. And uh, unfortunately for Wake, they got some bad news. Sage Surratt, uh, you know, their star wide receiver, he is out for the year with the shoulder injury that he uh, suffered against Virginia Tech. You know, he was the uh, leading receiver in the ACC in yards and touchdowns. Uh, so that's a big loss uh, that they're obviously going to have to address. Um, you know, I haven't heard an update on Scotty Washington yet. Uh, he's their other stud wide receiver. He did not play against Virginia Tech. Um, but my guess is he will be ready to go for this one. And uh, it's going to be him and Kendall Hinton who uh, who are the guys that are going to need to step up and uh, and make some plays. But... You know, Wake coming off a season low in, in yards, points, and plays run per in the game. And, uh, you know, that being said, their offense still ranks 13th in the country. But this will be the toughest test that they face all season against Clemson, Clemson who's got a top five uh, defense nationally. So, you know, Wake only got 63 yards on the ground against Virginia Tech. Like I said, Clemson is a team on a mission. Trevor Lawrence is really starting to settle in. We're starting to see flashes of what we thought Travis Etienne would be this year. And that Wake defense isn't very good. So that should mean a big day for Clemson. I'm not going to, you know, put money on Clemson to cover that spread. I think that's a few too many points, but I do like Clemson to win comfortably. Yeah, I mean, you almost feel bad for Wake Forest here dealing with the Surratt injury. Um, And just for a schedule, I mean, you go from Bud Foster to Brett Venables. Talk about in you know from the frying pan into the fryer it gets no easier for them as far as defenses they're facing um and they have to do it without you know one of the best wide receivers in the nation Surratt was uh an absolute demon for them out on that edge uh and it played so well and it's a shame to see him go down he and Newman had developed such a good chemistry 
Um, you know, and, and they roll into Clemson with, you know, a defense that knows how to stop just about any offense in the nation. Um, but certainly Virginia Tech tipped the cards in a good way to slow down the Demon Deacons, and that's to get after Jamie Newman and make him uncomfortable. And I expect Clemson to do that and, and to continue to roll. Like you, I think the spread is a little high, but we've been saying about that, you know, that about Clemson all year, and all they do is continue to to hit that. Um, and surpass it so we'll see what happens Um, we'll see what wake team shows up but they're certainly you know punching with one arm tied behind their back and the fact that they don't have one of their best players in a game where they're absolutely going to need them so yeah big games from Lawrence and Etienne Um, I don't think that the Wake Forest defense is going to be able to slow down the Clemson offense too much Um, and certainly they've lost a lot of their punching power on offense so Clemson a lot Wake Forest a little bit um, but I don't quite expect that spread uh, to get covered by Wake here. Um, I actually like uh, like the over, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, and in case you missed it, uh, Clemson is in the top four of the college football playoff poll, so we've got LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and uh, Georgia. Georgia sneaking in over Alabama, which always blows my mind. Georgia lost to South Carolina, and Alabama lost to LSU. <laughs> you know gotta love I, it i don't you can't you can't make that one make sense to me ever no but no and you, you know and come on i hate to play the who did south carolina lose to but we're talking about a team that lost to unc and appalachian state yeah so yeah it, you, and it just it's south carolina yeah like, yeah. bama lost it, to the number one team in the country right. as you rate them and south carolina is not ranked in the top 25 right if, if these not sort that of I'm, things not are that happening, I'm pulling for Alabama, but no. it just doesn't make any sense. No, so. it, it doesn't. And you know, these things do need to make sense to a certain degree. And this is one of those things that certainly doesn't make sense to a point where you literally can't even see the other side of the argument here. In my mind, and Georgia's going to have to win the SEC championship to have a chance, and I just don't think they're going right. to. Right, and that, LSU, that's a so. tall order. I mean, I like Jake Fromm a lot, um, but he he just doesn't have the ceiling, I think, that you need to go ahead and win that SEC championship game. Um, so I expect this to be a, a moot point at the end of the year, but still one worth making. It just it doesn't make sense. Not a lick. Uh, Louisville at NC State. This game is 7.30 ACC Network. NC State just cannot stay out of the primetime light, I tell you. Uh, <laughs> you, got, you got the Cardinals. They're a three-and-a-half point favorite. I'm, I'm going to take those points and run straight to the bank. You know, it's, you know I'm, not, I'm not being down on NC State. You know, I want to be clear here. I don't think you know, they've got bad coaches. I don't think they've got bad players. I just think they're in a, a year where they've lost a lot of talent on the offensive side of the football. You know, at every positional group, it seems like they've got a key injury. You know, it's just, it's a bad combination. And, uh, you know, it's just it's just not a good time to, to be NC State. And, no. uh, you know, if... <laughs> it's not. I don't, I don't think they're going to win another game this year. I'm not saying they can't, uh, but they're sitting here at four and five. You know, they need two wins to be bowl eligible. Uh, It's looking like a tough road. And, you know, Louisville's a team who needs one win for that bowl eligibility, which would be an absolute shock. That would basically cement Satterfield as ACC Coach of the Year, which I think he already is. Um, 
and I mean, you know, they've they've got playmakers that they can uh, that they can rely on across the field, specifically on that offense. So we got Mikael Cunningham, Tutu Atwell. Both of those guys left with an injury last week, but you know, sounds like they're going to play. Uh, Javion Hawkins is a really strong runner. Uh, their left tackle, Makai Becton, he did go down with a leg injury last week. He's kind of day-to-day, not sure what he's going to be. Uh, but that being said, I still like Louisville to come out and uh, to be able to win this game. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a blowout. Uh, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But, you know, the biggest issue for NC State right now, which is not an issue, Tim, that NC State is used to, is they just don't have a quarterback on the roster. Yeah, Um you know, and NC State, I think, earned the moniker of quarterback U over the years, uh, at least the recent years, and, and they can't seem to find one no matter how hard they look. And, you know, the struggles of Leary, Hockman, uh, McKay, it's it's been tough in Raleigh. Uh, you know, I, I'm actually thinking about going to this game. Um, you know, I've got some tickets. Uh, you know, I have a buddy that's going to be there. Um, you know, I'm excited to get out there and, and have some fun. Uh, if the stars line up, you know, we have some, some family stuff that may or may not be complicating it. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I want to be out there. I want to see it, but, uh, it's more so just to take in the college football, not necessarily expecting to see good football. Um, and it is one of those things where NC state's been a little hard done by injuries in the way that UNC was last year, where you look at that injury list and you're like, how does this happen? Um, you know, there's, there's no real explanation for when the injury bug bites as bad as it's bitten, but Doran is certainly struggling with it. Um, you know, it, it's tough for two new co-offensive coordinators to come into the season, um, and work with what they have, which is not a lot, especially at quarterback, which is your most important position. Um, and as you said, in, at the skill position, specifically wide receiver, uh, you know, losing Kelvin Harmon and Jacoby Myers is proving to be a much bigger deal than everyone thought. Uh, because the players on the edge are not able to get the separation that you need to really make a splash in the ACC. Um, defensively, it's been completely patchwork, and I think that's where you have seen some poor coaching creep in on NC State. I think Dave Huxtable's done a really poor job, and, and this is not the first season in which he's done a poor job, and it continues to get worse. You've had injuries on that side of the ball. Um, you know, you've had a defensive switch from a 4-3 to a 3-3-5. Um, which in theory I think is a good thing, but you know, it is the first season. So there are always kinks to work out. So almost a perfect storm in Raleigh of just crap that can happen to you in one season. And, um, you know, NC state is maintaining and doing the best it it absolutely can. I don't think this game is going to be very close. I think NC state will lose this by a couple of touchdowns. Um, you know, and that's, that's impressive work by Satterfield that we're sitting here in November and talking about Louisville winning games by multiple touchdowns. But here we are. I think Hawkins is going to have a field day. Um, you know, that NC State defense doesn't seem to be able to slow anyone down at the moment. Um, and Dwayne Ledford uh, and Scott Satterfield seem to have schemed up a really good offense given the talent that they have at their disposal. So, um, you know, I expect the Cardinals to roll in Raleigh. And, and sadly, I won't even give you a score prediction on this one because I do think it's going to be a bit lopsided. Uh, speaking of good football, Tim, Syracuse at Duke. So these two teams have been painful to watch over the last few weeks. Duke, Oof. not so much, uh, but Syracuse has been god-awful. You know, I don't think either team is particularly good. Uh, actually, I know that neither team is particularly <laughs> good. Um, and, you know, Duke, they're a 9.5-point favorite in this game. So I think the the big thing here is the Syracuse offensive line is, uh, you know, horrendous. And uh, Duke is coming off a 10-sack performance against North Carolina, which, uh, you know, also has a pretty bad offensive line. 
maybe a game they should have won if it wasn't for the uh, the jump pass at the goal line. Uh, but the big thing for Syracuse is that Tommy DeVito has shown that he pretty much crumbles under pressure. And uh, he doesn't seem to be kind of to that point mentally yet where he can uh, he can withstand a, uh, a beating throughout the game and the beating that he's taken throughout the season. So, you know, I think I'll, I'll look for Quentin Harris to do enough to put Duke over the top in this one. Uh, I do like Duke to win. Uh, I'm not sure I love him to cover, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the Blue Devils. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, you know, they, they talk about, uh, you know, interrogating terrorists and all of those things and what's a humane way to do it. I say they just sit down and, and throw on a loop of Syracuse football games from this season, and I guarantee you they will get those guys talking. I mean, it's some brutal stuff that we've seen out of Dino Babers this year, and, and talk about another surprise. Uh, weren't expecting to see that. But here we are. Syracuse continues to look terrible. Duke has certainly not looked good recently, uh, and I was surprised to see the spread, you know, uh, 10 points in Duke's favor. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be, you know, that far. I think that's far, just but... what Vegas thinks of Syracuse. Syracuse is a team, zero power five wins this year. It's impressive. It's impressively bad. Although... Yeah, no, that is that is true. Zero power, five wins. I was going to say, I thought we were talking about uh, Division One. I. I wanted to remind you that Liberty is now a Division One team or Division One A team. Uh, but you obviously know that. So, yes, uh, <laughs> no power, five wins is impressive given that they were a, was it an 11-win team last year? Uh, ten. Ten. Yeah, ten-win team uh, following up, you know, in a team that uh, wasn't devoid of talent, you're talking about a defense that returned a lot of people and a lot of impact players, um, whether it be, you know, Cisco at safety, um, both defensive ends that were just wreaking havoc on teams last year that just have not been able to put it together. And, you know, it's hard not to point at coaching in this case, you know, in NC state's case, you're dealing with a lot of injuries, but I'm not saying Dino Babers is a bad coach, but it's just, it's inexplicable where Syracuse finds itself and whoever that offensive line coach is, if he hasn't gone already, he needs to be sent packing yesterday because it's, it's some of the worst offensive line play we've seen since FSU last year. Well, I believe they fired their defensive coordinator, which is the unit that has really disappointed this year. Yeah. Falling (laughs) Um, off a cliff. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you look at the talent that, you know they had on that side of the ball we thought that defense was going to be the strength of the team and they've been just abysmal um but as far as i know they haven't fired anybody else but you know yeah dino's probably wishing he left after last season to take uh take whatever job offers he had and the impressive thing is they really shut down liberty who turns out has one of the best offenses in college football who to thunk it it's Um, week one for you this one. is where we it has week one, wacky week one. Um, but here we find ourselves looking at Duke and Syracuse and asking ourselves who would put themselves uh, through that. And uh, there won't be a lot of fans, I imagine, in Wallace Wade. Um, but that's another cheap game to go to, I think, if you're in the triangle and want to go witness some college football. I recommend you get down. Wallace Wade is an interesting venue. It's certainly an old venue with some history behind it. Uh, maybe go take it in. You probably get in with you know two tickets, five bucks. And go get a hot dog and enjoy a football game, um, but that hot dog will be the most pleasant thing for you because I don't think the football game is going to be very good. I don't think Syracuse is going to keep this close. I think ten points sounds, you know, uh, it, it was surprising at first. The more you think about it, the more you're like, yeah, maybe that's about right. 
but you know, maybe a maybe a thirty-one twenty-one kind of scoring game, and then that would be a huge output uh, for Syracuse. Well, I mean, if you're trying to knock off your ACC stadiums list, maybe go to the Duke game and then just head on over to NC State right afterwards and uh, yeah. you know, kill two birds with one stone right there. Remember, they hosted the Rose Bowl at Wallace Wade Stadium, uh, I believe, during World War II because they were afraid that uh, the Rose Bowl in California would be bombed if they were to host it. So, so they um, felt like it wouldn't be bombed in North Carolina or they didn't well, care? I mean, just think about Japan flying all the way over from Japan to Durham. That's a lot of gas. I guess. You know, so, yeah, I guess. logistically I that. speaking, that's a little that's ACC trivia for you. Hey, you're not going to get that anywhere else, and I certainly hope I'm not being fact-checked, but I feel like that's an actual thing that happened. So if I'm wrong, um, go ahead and tweet me. Make me feel terrible at myself. That uh, handle is at Timmy Jim with two M's after Jim. Well, we are a bunch of amateurs, Tim. So Absolutely. <laughs> Shout out Hokie in Georgia. <laughs> Uh, so let's let's wrap it up here. FSU hosts Alabama State. This game is noon regional coverage. Not a whole lot to say here. FSU sits at five and five. Bama State FCS opponent. I like FSU to get the win. Uh, win number six that gets them to their coveted bowl game. And uh, you know, biggest thing for me here is we saw a little bit of Jordan Travis last week. Uh, seems to be a guy who has elite speed. If you don't remember, he came over from Louisville, uh, the transfer portal. And uh, I think we'll probably see more of him in this one. Uh, maybe the future quarterback for the Seminoles. But uh, Odell Hagens will have his guys ready to go. Florida State should cruise right into bowl season. Yeah, I mean, this one's a no-brainer. Odell Hagens going to be undefeated. You know, Null Nation, baby. Maybe you should be looking at the guy that's right under your nose. I'm telling you, I'd wanna, I want to play for Odell Haggins. I don't know what it would take to make that happen. Uh, it would take a lot of youth and a lot of uh, knee repairs to get me in there, but I want it. I want to happen. I want to see it. Uh, the guy understands what it means to be a Noel, and he understands what it takes to beat Alabama State. So that's what I expect. Um, no surprises there. I will follow up with this. Um, I fact checked myself through the power of the internet, and I was correct. The 1942 Super Bowl was played in Wallace Wade Stadium. The Duke Blue Devils versus the vaunted Oregon State Beavers. Oregon State winning 20-16. to 16. So, um, Fantastic. Yeah. There you go. So I'll say this about Florida State coaching job. I mean, for entertainment value, I just continue to hope and pray that it's Lane Kiffin. And just Please. The, the amount of swag Please. that would enter. I don't know how much you know coaching ability uh, would be following that swag, but... I mean, hey, to see him go up against uh, Miami and Manny Diaz and what's going on down there, I mean, that's kind of what the ACC wants, right? Well, I mean, then you'd have Jeff Collins, you'd have Manny Diaz, you'd have Lane Kiffin. Um, Justin Fuente would need a shtick. You know, he needs something to keep up with all this. I don't know what what you could do to spice Justin Fuente up, but, you know, maybe it's sleeveless T-shirts. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. Oh, he's got some cannons. He's got some biceps that just won't quit. Yeah. No, that dude does not miss arm day, that's for sure. I was, and I don't know if he does anything except curls, but either way, it's working for him. Doesn't matter. But my word, he is just, you know, he, he looks yoked when he's giving those, those press conferences in his little t-shirt hoodie combination, which I gotta say, I don't have a cut-off hoodie to where I could rock a t-shirt underneath, but I really need to rectify that, because it's a good look. It's like the, uh, it's the chic Bill Belichick. Well, you can actually you can buy them at Dick's Sporting Goods, the the Rock branded wear, but they're like ah. you know eight hundred dollars because it's Ugh. the Rock brand. So there's that. 
Well, you know, that's going to make me raise my people's eyebrow because I'm not paying that much money for anything. <laughs> I will cut the sleeves off of a uh, a Walmart hoodie and, and call it a day. Yeah, there you go. It'll look the same. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so that is our show. Anything else you want to say about Week 12 in the ACC before we wrap this guy up? No, just a bummer to see Sage Chirac go out. I was really... Uh, kind of taken aback by how well both he and his brother were playing brother linebacker at UNC. Um, you know, so it's a shame that he went out. I thought wake was one of the best stories of the ACC this year, just the way that they were winning games and you know, how good that offense looked and you know, how um, Dave Clawson seemed to be doing, you know, wonders down there in Winston Salem, which is not a surprise. They continue to get great coaches. Um, but you know, a shame to see a uh, Sage Chirac go down and then it's also a shame for Dave Clawson to be really weird about water squirting, which was unfortunate. <laughs> because the more I hear about water that incident, squirt. the less I'm impressed about uh, Dave's ability to keep his cool in that halftime interview. Yeah, I think he. Uh, I think it's pretty clear he was upset about how the game was going, and that's you know, it. Maybe he saw something that wasn't there, yeah. and he just kind of lost it. So that's yeah. that's how I'm gonna take it. You know, I'm not going to think any less a, a Clawson for it, but from what it sounds like, it was a big to do about nothing. Yeah, I mean that that's what it seems like to me. It's just, you know, just just relax, have a Snickers. Yeah, exactly. That'd be a great commercial, actually. You know? It really would. <laughs> it really would. We want royalties if you go with that, Mars. Maybe I'll just start an ad agency, and that'll be my first uh, my first pitch right there. Ooh, I would love that. I've always had dreams of starting an ad agency. I just have no background in marketing and I have no idea how to begin. But if you want to go ahead and start that up, I'm happy to be your first employee. Ideas, Squirtgate. That's all I got to say. Done. All right, so that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, we are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. Uh, you know, you can listen to us basically anywhere you listen to a podcast. Obviously, where you're listening to it right now, maybe on uh, the Chowder and Grits website. Or, uh, you know, maybe Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or, you know, wherever. If you type in Chowder and Grits, you will find this podcast. Uh, Tim, why don't you tell these fine people what they can do for us? Share our contact, our content, our contact. You can also share our contact. Sure. Interact with us on Twitter. Um, do everything you can to spread the word. Leave us some reviews. We appreciate those five stars, those four-star reviews. We appreciate any and all reviews, um, but those certainly help. And, you know, we just appreciate what you guys have done for us and with us so far. So I will go ahead and leave you guys with a go Hokies, go ACC, and go tell people about Chatter and Grace. See you guys later.